Thank you all for being here today. It's good to see you. Uh, we're going to be starting a, a new series today. As you may have remembered, we ended our, our series on Philippians. So um, today is going to be a little bit uh, of a, a different kind of a message because we're going to be doing uh, an intro to the book. So there's going to be a little bit of some history and, and hopefully some things that will kind of inspire you to really take hold of, of, of what this book um, has for us and what it has done in the life of the church in, in church history. So um, I said today we're going to start a new study. Uh, just before camp, we finished Philippians. Um, I prayed about what we were going to take on next, and I just really felt like Romans was where God was, was leading me. So Romans is a much longer book than the past books we've done, so I don't know if we're going to go through it the whole way like we did um, Philippians. If we do, we may be in Romans uh, into next fall. I don't really know. Um, so we'll, we'll see where it takes us. Uh, Martin Luther described the book of Romans as the chief book in the New Testament and the purest gospel. Many theologians have made similar statements ranking the letter to the Romans as the greatest letter of, in literature in the, in the course of the world. Uh, some of you, when you think of Romans, may think of what's known as uh, Romans Road or Romans Road to Salvation, which is a list of verses that come from Romans that clearly lays out the condition of man, the punishment of sin, the payment made for our sin, and the salvation that we find only in Jesus from condemnation and death. Now, there's a, a few variations of what verses are included in Romans Road. Uh, one of the shorter versions consists of five verses and I want to encourage you today to try and put these to memory. Um, I actually have them on a sheet out in the foyer. Maybe I should have had them handed out, but if you, if you think of it on your way out, grab one. I also have with that a little bit of a, a kind of a, an abbreviated testimony to kind of give you an idea of how you can use Romans Road as a way to share your story with somebody else. So one of the things I think hinders Christians from sharing their faith is not knowing how to articulate it. Uh, if you become familiar with the next five verses and know what they mean to you in your life, you'll be well prepared. We, we all have a testimony. We all have a story of how Jesus changed our lives, and these verses can help us organize that testimony in a way that it can clearly depict what God's plan is for salvation. The first verse is Romans 3.23. Uh, before I start, uh, just going to let you know, all of these verses are in the New Living Translation. Uh, many of you are probably like me, where you, you are more familiar with them in NIV or New King James Version or something, um, and that's fine. I just find that the New Living Translation is a little bit easier for somebody who's hearing it for the first time to, to understand it, and that's kind of a great thing when you're trying to share it with uh, unbelievers. So we're going to use that for today. Uh, after each verse, like I said, I'm going to give a little description of what that means to me. So we're going to start with Romans 3.23. For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And I am no different than anybody else. The fact is, I am not perfect. I've messed up. I've done things wrong. I've done things that I know displease God. But Romans 6.23 says, or I should say, and Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of my disobedience to God, because of um, 
the ways that I messed up, the ways that I displeased God, the things that, that God calls sin, I have earned the punishment of death. And I have an internal guilt that is a barometer that tells me that I have done something wrong, that there is a moral standard, there is a, a higher, uh, there is a God that, that's saying what is right and wrong. Otherwise, why would I carry this? Um, it's evidence that that is true. But God offers us eternal life, both you and me. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I had earned death. My sin had earned death, but God loved me so much that he sent Christ to die in my place. Not because I did anything good, not because I deserved it, um, not not even because I believed in him or loved him. Before, before I ever believed in him, before I ever loved him, truthfully, before I was ever born, he knew I was going to sin and he died for me because he loved me and he wanted to save me. Romans 9, 10 and 11 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. There was a day in my life where I felt God speaking to me. I felt there was a revelation in my heart that I knew that God was real and I knew he had a purpose for me. And it was on that day I chose to turn away from my sins and to receive forgiveness that Jesus offered. I surrendered my life to him to whatever his purpose and his plans were for me. And at that moment, I knew I was saved. I knew I was made right with God. And then I experienced Romans 8.1, which says there's no condemnation for those who belong to, to Christ Jesus. When I put my trust in Jesus and in his payment for my sins, I experienced the removal of the weight of my sins. That guilt that I, that I mentioned that we feel when we know that we've done something wrong was taken away from me. And even after that day, after I was saved, after I felt that relief, I made mistakes. I continued to sin, but I was able to go to God and confess my sins and receive forgiveness and receive uh, freedom from that guilt and that shame. And I didn't have to carry that anymore. And he strengthened me so that I could continue to be more and more like him. And, uh, and my life has never been the same. And that's that's my story in a nutshell. That's probably a lot of your stories in a nutshell. Um, if we were sharing this with somebody else, you could add whatever details you feel fit the situation that would speak to the person you're talking to about your life before you were saved or the life after you're saved or whatever it was that exactly stirred your heart or what you heard, whatever influences you had that, 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 that led you to this understanding that there is a God and that he was calling you to himself. And so um, that can all be added. But just uh, knowing these verses can help prepare us to share the good news of salvation through Jesus. That message has power to transform a person's life for eternity. These... Uh, these verses in Romans Road, they're just an example of the kind of powerful and applicable, applicable truths that we find in the book of Romans. Uh, the book of Romans is a letter about how to live. It teaches us how to deal with our sinful attitudes and our behaviors, how, how to get back on the right track. Uh, Paul's letter has direct application to us, showing us 
how to overcome the effects of sin on our life and redirect the course of our life so it aligns with God's will for us. Uh, as you know, um, Paul wrote many of the New Testament letters to the early church. Most of them, um, so this is how Romans is a little bit different. Most of them he had he'd written to churches where he'd either planted them um, or maybe he was in the letter addressing specific questions or concerns that they had. Uh, but in this letter to the Romans, he's not necessarily addressing specific questions or concerns, and he's not actually even writing to a church that he planted. It was a church that he hadn't been able to visit yet. So this letter is, is a kind of a foundational teaching covering a wide variety of foundational truths for Christians. In fact, it's said that every major doctrinal truth in the Christian faith is mentioned at least in part in Romans and in most cases fully uh, laid out for us. And so this is going to be just a great book to go through to just solidify those foundations of faith. Um, Paul in the beginning of this letter, makes mention of how he'd been longing to go to Rome. He says that he has a passion to share the gospel with all cultures, but so far he'd not been able to visit them. Uh, now, we just finished the book of Philippians, and so we know from that book that he did eventually go to Rome because that's where he wrote the book of Philippians from. But little did he know at this time that he was going to be arriving as a prisoner. But I'm thankful that Paul was not able to get to Rome when he wanted to. He'd been longing for a long time to go there, but if he would have went there, um, I'm assuming that what, what he wrote in this letter is largely what he taught all of the other churches when he planted them. And so this delay created an opportunity for him to lay out for us his, his complete teaching of, of what he taught new believers and, and what he taught when he, when, he, when he planted a new church. And so um, we have this letter now that has been a blessing to Christians across the globe for centuries. Um, it says uh, in chapter 16, we find out that even though he had not gone to Rome, uh, he did know a lot of people there. Uh, either there were people that he had met that later moved to Rome, um, but likely it was because uh, there was a time during his missionary journeys that all of the Jews in Rome were actually expelled from Rome for five years. And so all of these displaced Jews ended up in different cities like Colossae and, and um, uh, Thessalonica and just all around the area. I don't, I'm not sure exactly which ones. I know that some of them came from Colossae, but, but he was able to meet them while they were expelled. And then after the expulsion ended, uh, after five years, they were able to go back to Rome. So he knew some of the people there. And the church in Rome existed even before this expulsion. It, it may have even existed before Paul's conversion. One of the likely possibilities of how the church in Rome started was that uh, shortly after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, there was a Jewish festival, a main Jewish festival that Jews would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for. And it was at this festival known as Pentecost, or is also known as Shavat, um, there was, they had an unexpected life change. At this particular Pentecost, um, the Holy Spirit was poured out as promised upon all the disciples and all the people who were with them. The Holy Spirit was poured out and there was an empowering of the Spirit that led to signs and wonders and powerful preaching. And as a result of that, thousands of 
people were saved from all different nations, and many of them were Jews, and presumably many of them Jews that had come from Rome. And so following this, they would have went back to Rome, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and began sharing their faith, and some of the first churches were born. This letter to the church in Rome was written after the five-year expulsion. Um, Those displaced Christians had returned, and the Gentile Christians, um, they they found that the Gentile Christians were living uh, and practicing their faith in a different way than what they would have expected or what they thought. They, they They were still kind of in this transition between the Jewish traditions and, and what it meant to be a New Testament Christian. And so there was some controversy between the, the new Christian Jews and the Christians who were not Jews. And so this letter kind of lays out a foundation that helped unite the church and help them hold tightly to the good news of salvation and remove some of the barriers that were causing divisions. As we uh, looked at Romans Road, we saw that the main topic, or one of the main topics of, of the book of Romans is the gospel, the good news that salvation from sin is available through Jesus Christ. No matter who we are, no matter what we done, we've done, um, there's nothing that could separate us from his salvation in faith in Christ. We can stand before God justified and declared not guilty. And that is why we call it the good news. The study of the book of Romans has a tremendous history of stirring the hearts of people who were on the front side of revivals in the church. And they were used by God to build and to strengthen and guide the church. Uh, One of these people is a man that is is known as St. Augustine. He was a philosopher and an early theologian in the early 400s. And he had a profound effect on both uh, the Protestant and the Catholic Church. In his younger years, he had departed from the faith. His, his mother was a Christian, but he had departed from the Christian faith and he was living a very hedonistic lifestyle until one day he was in this park and he heard this voice saying, take and read, take and read. And he didn't know where it was coming from. He didn't know what it was, but he went and he picked up a book that was by his friend and it happened to be a book of Paul's letters. And he read the first thing he turned to and that happened to be Romans 13 verses 13 through 14 and says, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. As he read this, he said he felt as if his heart was flooded with light. And he turned totally from his life of sin and was baptized and became a powerful influence on the spirituality and the theology of the Christian church. And his his writings are still referenced today. And then we find Martin Luther. And Martin Luther, which just so happens to have been an Augustinian monk, so in the order of St. Augustine, um, but he he was around in the 1500s, so well after St. Augustine was gone, um, but he was powerfully impacted by the book of Romans as well. Uh, 
Luther is known as one of the leaders of the Protestant Reformation. He brought the church away from a work-based faith uh, that kept a lot of people from complete faith in Jesus' work on the cross, and, it, and he brought the church back to a faith in Christ and in him alone. But his role in this revival may have never happened if he would not have had a revival in his own heart. I'm sure it wouldn't have happened if he wouldn't have had a revival in his own heart first. And that revival in his heart was sparked by the study of the book of Romans. One of the passages that stood out to Romans is in the first chapter, Romans 1.17, where it says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. Now, there was a misunderstanding of this verse back in the time that Luther was living because they were reading the Bible in Latin. And in Latin, the word for righteous that was used there, uh, was a, it was a two-part word, and part of it had to do with justice or righteousness, but the other part had to do with to, be, to, to make righteous. You had to be made righteous. And, and the, the way that they read it and the way they interpreted it was that um, you were made righteous through sacraments. You're made righteous through having, you know, making sure that you've taken communion, making sure that you've confessed your sins, making sure that you were baptized, making sure that you were obeying all of the different rules that were laid out. That's how you were made righteous. God had to make you righteous through your works. There was an action that you had to perform or several actions really that you had to perform. Um, but this, this verse struck him because um, as he was studying it, he read that in the Greek, which is the language that it was written in, the word that Paul actually used, um, it, it didn't have that, that part about making. It was, um, it was actually saying that you would be counted righteous or declared righteous or regarded as righteous. Like, we're not, we, there was nothing that you could really do to make yourself right, but, but by faith in Christ, you could be counted as righteous. It's Christ's righteousness, not our own. We can't do the works to make ourselves righteous. The sins of our past would always be there, no matter how good we do moving forward. So it's only through Christ's righteousness and through his work that we can be made righteous. And so um, as he discovered this, it, it, it moved him in such a powerful way that, um, that it it, it transformed his, his way of looking at, at really the church as a whole. And he began to question the church's teaching and he held firmly to what scripture taught. And so this, this in Christ alone became one of the fundamental teachings, which they, back in the, in the time when they're speaking Latin, they called it sola fide or by faith alone. As Luther continued his studies in verse or chapter three, verse 25, um, he, he found that it said, for God presented Jesus um, I just need the, just the second part here. But uh, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin, people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Luther was convinced at this point that there was no sacrifice that can offer, no, office, no sacrifice that we can offer that would purchase our righteousness. But it's only the sacrifice of Jesus shed blood that can make us right with God. So Luther, when he opened his heart to these truths, 
This is, this is the statement he, meant, he made when he received these truths in his heart. He said, I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. And in that new life, he became impassioned. He wrote book after book. Um, he wrote a, a thesis that he nailed to the door that, that opened the debates on, on what the church was teaching. Um, he, he had them printed on printing presses. He was almost... He was probably on his way to getting um, burned at the stake as a martyr or something. I, I know he was brought before the emperor. Um, they, they asked him if he would renounce what he'd written. And he, he said he needed some time to, to pray about him. They gave him 24 hours. He came before me and said, I cannot go against my conscience. If somebody can show me in the scripture and reason with me how this is not correct, you know, then I can. But if not you know, Lord, save me. I, I have to stand by what, what the scripture says. And so um, Luther became impassioned and empowered through this life change that happened as he studied the book of Romans. Uh, following Luther, we find John Wesley, who was an Anglican minister. And I find it interesting, both I mean, Luther was, um, well, he was a monk. Uh, John Wesley was a minister. These were people of the faith when they had this life transformation. They already were familiar with the scripture. They were already living what they believed was a, re a religious life, but they had a life transformation. Um, John Wesley, like I said, an Anglican minister, um, but he had not experienced a revival in his heart that would give him victorious faith. He wrote saying that he was indeed fighting continually but not conquering. He said, I fell and rose and fell again. But on May 24th, 1730, he said this, uh, he said of this, of this date, he said, in the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society at Alder Street, Aldersgate Street, where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle of Romans. At about a quarter to nine, while the person was speaking and the person was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given to me that my sins, even mine, were, were saved, or I was saved from my sins and saved from the law of death, of sin and death. After this new life in Christ, John Wesley went on to be used powerfully as, as an evangelist and a theologian. He ministered tirelessly. I can't remember how many miles they said he rode on horseback all over the place. He, they said they, he preached no less than 40,000 messages. Um, he became a powerful uh, influencer for God, um, leading a, a, a revolution, really, that they say that... Um, that John Wesley's teaching may have actually kept England from turning into the turmoil and, and revolution that, we, that happened in France during that time because of his teaching, because the hearts of people were changed for the gospel and, and it impacted the entire nation. These stories, the stories of these men in church history show us how when revival happens in the hearts of individuals in a way that, the, that, the, that their life changes, that their life changes in a way that it impacts the world around them, that we can, 
we can have that kind of impact. We can have that kind of life change. Uh, we can allow, I mean, Luther, Martin, uh, I think I said the wrong name, John, John Wesley, uh, Martin Luther, John Wesley, they, they had read these verses before, but it hadn't impacted them. It hadn't become, uh, it hadn't become alive in them in the way that it did uh, at these moments in, in history where God chose to, to reveal something to them. So I, I think that there's, a, there's an opportunity for us who've heard these to have new revelation and have our faith grow deeper. And that's, that's the hope as we go through this, that we can have a new revelation of, of, of this. And not even like, not that it's different than what we heard before, but that it's fresh again. If it maybe seems like something that, that is, has become just something you've heard over and over again, but, but it can be made fresh again in a way that'll change the way we live our lives and the way we impact the world around us. So, now that we're nearing the end uh, of our message today, let's get started. All right. <laughs> this is going to be a little bit longer today. I apologize for that. I, don't, I really don't know how to stop in the middle of one of these sermons, so I'll, I'll go as quick as I can, um, or not. Um, and you're stuck here anyways. Lock the doors, Paul. <laughs> uh, all right, Romans 1, 1 through 7. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and the authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them, what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among these Gentiles who've been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. So Paul starts this letter at the very beginning of this section, the same way that many of the letters are starting, uh, where he's pointing not to himself as the origin or source of his authority, but that he is just a servant that's been called by God and sent with a message, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul, before he met Jesus, he was a Pharisee. Now the word Pharisee means to be separate, to be separate from, really. And that's what the Jewish Pharisees practiced. They tried to be separate from sin. Uh, they would go so far as to, if they saw somebody who was a Gentile or somebody they believed was a sinner, they would try not to walk near them. And if they did happen to walk near them, they would grab their robe and pull it to the side as to not even let their clothes touch somebody that they saw as being sinful. But now, as an apostle, uh, as a slave of Christ Jesus, he was not just separate from something. He was separated to something. He was set apart by God as a messenger, a messenger of the gospel, a willing captive or a slave to God's plan for his life. And, and it's not a slave in like that he, he wanted to get free. He was a willing slave. He considered it a privilege to be called to tell everyone 
what God had done so that they could believe and obey and bring glory to the name of God. Jumping ahead uh, to verse 7, he says that we are God's holy people. He's called us to be his own holy people. Now, in other translations, it uses the word saint. And the word saint means that we are set apart by or set apart for God. So set apart by God, set apart for God. We are called to be different than the world, and we're called to have the likeness of God, to have God's nature. Uh, we, like Paul, are not just set apart from something, but set apart to something as well. We are to bear the nature of Christ. And if we're to bear his nature, then we should also bear his mission as well. We may not bear the calling that Paul had as an apostle. Um, we, don't, we don't have to, we're not called in the same way that Paul was, but we all have the privilege of being messengers, carrying the good news wherever God calls us to. Um, looking ahead to Romans 8 through 15, 1, 8 through 15. Let me say first that I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night, I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all of my heart by spreading the good news about his son. One of the things I always pray for you is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so that I can bring you some spiritual gift and that, that will help you to grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. Um, continuing into verse 13, sorry. Uh, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I have seen among other Gentiles. I have a great sense of obligation to the people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and the uneducated alike. So I'm eager to come to you in Rome Two, to preach the good news. So I said earlier, I know that's a lot of reading to take in. Hope you don't, I, I, I want to, I'm, tr I'm trying to get to a certain point in this message because there's a key verse that I think kind of sets the tone for the whole book. And so we're going to get there. Um, but I said earlier, Paul had not been able to get to the church in Rome yet, but regardless, he prayed for them. He undoubtedly saw Rome as this great opportunity to see the gospel spread. Rome was the center of, of civilization at that time. It was said, you know, all roads lead to Rome. Um, it was a great opportunity. Uh, there, was, there was over a million people or around a million people living in Rome at the time. So just the, the fact that there's so many together was an opportunity uh, in Paul's mind, to, to see the gospel spread. So he was thankful for them because he said that their faith was shining so brightly that it was talked about all over the world, he said. Seeds of faith were being planted um, and interest in Jesus was being talked about and Paul wanted so badly to be a part of that. He wanted to be a part of that movement and though he wasn't able to be there, he was at least going to devote himself 
to praying for them faithfully, and now he was going to write this letter, this foundations of faith that would help equip them and establish them and unite them so that they could be even more successful uh, for the cause of Christ. So as I begin to wrap up here, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. But we're going to close with verses 16 and 17, which are just these great summary statements of what the book of Romans is going to include and kind of what we have to look forward to in this study. Verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Why is he not ashamed? Why is he not ashamed to share this kind of crazy sounding message to really to people who don't understand it? It's, it's foolishness, you know, but to those who receive it, it is the gift of life. It is salvation. So why is he not ashamed? Really because of that second part, right? Um, because the message, the news, the truth of Jesus Christ is the son of God laying down his life for the payment for our sin and rising again to new life is the power that brings salvation from death and sin and all those who believe it and confess it are become children of God. It is salvation. During the height of COVID, uh, there were many out there who boldly and unashamedly uh, promoted different treatments that they believed would either keep you from getting COVID or would cure you from COVID, whether it was vitamins, whether it was uh, vaccines, whether it was ivermectin, uh, wh whatever it was, there's all kinds of home remedies and, and prescription drugs that, that, they, that people were boldly proclaiming were going to save you. And, and some people thought it was ridiculous. Some people disagreed, but people were bold in sharing all of these ideas because they believed that it had the power to save them. They knew that a, a severe case of COVID could cause even death. And so they were bold about what they believed. Sin is a disease for the soul. It's a cancer of the soul and everybody has it. There's no avoiding it. Everybody has it. But not everybody has received the remedy. Paul knew that he was carrying the remedy. He had the remedy for sin, which led to death. He was sharing it everywhere he went because he knew that whoever received it would be saved. He was separated to preach the gospel of Jesus, and we have been called to be ambassadors of Christ as well. 2 Corinthians 5, 19-20 says, says, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. And we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Come back to God. The Amplified Bible begins verse 17 this way. It says, For in the gospel, 
the righteousness of God is revealed both springing from faith and leading to faith. I'm going to say that one more time. In the gospel, the righteous, it says that it, the righteousness of God is revealed springing from faith and leading to faith. And it's further explained in, in Romans 3.25a, which we'd already looked at. It says, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God because they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Right? So the gospel message, God demonstrated how he could justly attribute righteousness to us, right? Because God is a just God. He can't just say, you, you, you know, a, a crime is forgiven when there's been no penalty paid, when there's been no payment, when there's been no restitution. And so God demonstrated how he could justly attribute righteousness on us who are sinners through Christ's sacrifice, because he was the perfect sacrifice. He was the only one who had a life that could be given that was not already demanded because of sin. He had his life to give freely. And when hearing this message, we respond with faith. We respond with belief. Now, I was reading a, a commentary on the Greek word for faith. And it said that faith is always a gift from God. It's never something that's produced by people. In short, faith for believers is God's divine persuasion. The Lord continually births faith in the yielded believer so that we can know his will. His will. All right, and there's examples of this in the Bible. We see in Romans uh, 12, 3, that God has allotted each of us a measure of faith. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says that you've been faith, saved through faith that is not of your own, you're not of yourself. It is a gift from God. It's not a result of works. In Galatians, one of the uh, attributes of the having the fruit of the Spirit in our life is that we would have faith. Faith is a gift from God, but we have to yield to it. So when you hear these verses and you feel something stirring in you, if you feel this as, as uh, Wesley said, I believe, that he felt his heart warmed, um, when you feel that God is doing something in you, you have that gift of faith that's saying, yes, hold on to this. And you also have this other part inside of you that's saying, no, don't give up your control. And you have the choice. God may give you a gift of faith, but you have a choice on which one you're going to listen to. Are you gonna, are you gonna listen to this gift of choice that God's speaking to your heart that's pulling you in a particular direction, or are you gonna listen to your own personal desires and wants? So we can resist that. But if we surrender to the gift of faith that, that God is speaking to our hearts, our faith will grow and it will produce in us new and eternal life, a life that will not just affect our life, but affect those around us. Colossians 2, 6 through 7 says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you are taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. And this is my prayer for us as we begin this study, the study of this book of Romans, that this message of Jesus' atonement for our sins that resulted in our right standing before God, this, this erasure or, or removal of this stain of guilt and shame that we've had, that it will so empower us 
that, that we will find our faith growing in ways that we haven't seen for in the past, that, that we will have a revival in our own heart that will spark us to have an impact on the world around us. Uh, a faith in Jesus that, like the church in Rome, would have people all over talking about it. Let's stand and pray, and we'll close with a song. Lord, I just pray that, uh, Lord, it's, to many of us, this is, this is not a new story. This is not a, a new thing. We, we, we've heard since we were children, many of us, uh, about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And, uh, and it's become a way of life. Um, but, but in some regards, um, we can get into a pattern that, that is, is not bad, but it's maybe um, become more of a routine than it, than it is a, a spirit-led, guided life uh, where we're directed into, into where you want to plant us or who you want us to impact or where to share this gospel, to be a, a bulb that, that shines brightly, not dimly. Lord, I just pray that as we study this book, that, that the, the truth and the power and the magnitude of, of our salvation of the fact that we were taken from, from sin and destined to condemnation and death, and we've been brought into your glorious light where we have life and life eternal, and we have hope and we have love and we have uh, a future and we have the ability to be in the presence of the God of the universe who loved us and gave his own son for us, that we would have a new understanding of what that love means to us, what that means, what, what depth, what height, the, the, the expanses. I, I, the Bible says that we can't understand the greatness of this love, but Lord, that's kind of the point, that we would, that we would understand that your love is beyond measure for us and that our life would be a response to that kind of love. Lord, move in our hearts today. Move in our hearts through this study. Prepare us as we come in the weeks to come. And, and speak to us, Lord. Guide us in where you would take us from here. Lord, let us uh, leave here uh, with the, the knowledge that we are set apart to your calling, to your will. That when we, when we surrendered our life and we called you Lord, we meant it. Lord, you are Lord. That means that you, you have a plan. When, when Paul said that he was a slave, slaves are given direction. They're given orders. They're given uh, a, a task to complete. And we surrender ourselves, as Paul did, as a slave to you. And Lord, we just ask, Lord, where do you want us? What do you want to do? We're here for you, Lord God, to serve and to bring glory to you. Amen. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs it, that's living with a, a sin, disease condition in their soul. Do this for the glory of God who loves us so much. Amen.